We're going to jump in this morning. We're, today we're talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we're going to be looking at the whole process that got them to the place where they are either going to bow to a false idol or they are going to go into a fiery furnace. If you're not familiar with this story, awesome, you're going to hear it today. If you are familiar with it, then open your mind for, for some things that you may not have considered before. But we're going to look in, in Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 1, right at the very beginning. And it says this, During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Okay, so right off the bat, in the book of Daniel, we see authority being established here. And if you read this too quickly, you're thinking that the authority that's being established here is Nebuchadnezzar. All right, Nebuchadnezzar is king, he's a snarly guy, and he has now besieged Judah, and he has taken treasure from the temple of God and put it into his own lowercase g, God's house of worship. Okay, big deal here, right? But if we pay close attention and if we read carefully what we actually see being established here in Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 and 3, is not Nebuchadnezzar's authority, but God's authority. Because it says here in verse 2, the Lord gave him victory. It says the Lord permitted him to take the sacred objects out of God's treasury and into his lowercase g, God's treasury, right? Okay, so, so this is important to understand right off the bat in how this journey of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego is going to go is we have to understand that God is in control and God has full authority even when it doesn't look like it. Even when it doesn't look like it, y'all. God is in full and complete control. And if we only look at this, the earthly things that are happening here, then our attention is drawn to Nebuchadnezzar. All right. If we're only talking about what's going on here on earth, and that is our, our only thought process, then of course we're going to focus on Nebuchadnezzar. Right? And if we look at Nebuchadnezzar, then we see that he is bad and he is fearful. And I want to say this really quick. The fires that we find ourselves in here on earth will always try and tell us that it's bad and we should be afraid. If that is our focus, if that is where our eyes are, but if we remember to look upward instead of outward, then we will remember that God is in control. And if, as we see this, this, this taking of God's treasures, right, that Nebuchadnezzar does, I ask myself, why would God permit this? Like it says that he permits it, but why? Why would God allow this to happen? Because God knows who he is, right? God knows exactly who he is. And as we walk with the Lord more and more in this journey of faith that we're on, the more that we learn about who God is, the less hot the fires become in our life. Okay? And he, if, if we're talking about authority just in general on the most basic but also the most awesome premise here, we know this about Nebuchadnezzar versus God. Now, we might not know this, but Bible scholars argue that today Nebuchadnezzar is dead. That was a joke. All right? He, he's dead. All right? He, he died a long time ago. He's not alive, is what I'm saying. God is alive. God is on the throne of heaven even now. And so he can say, yeah, Nebuchadnezzar, go ahead, take those treasures all you want. 
because I'm going to outlast you. My authority is forever. You have what's called an earthly reign. I have a heavenly reign. And anyone or anything that tries to go up against the authority of God will fail because it will pass away and God will still be there. So when Nebuchadnezzar is done with those treasures, God's just going to say, okay, thanks. I'm going to put them back where they belong now because you're dead. Even though Beach's Chapel might not have gotten that, I do, right? Okay. So God's authority is established. We're going to Fast forward a little bit through chapter one, and what happens here is, as Nebuchadnezzar is reigning, he assembles all these young guys in the kingdom that are going to be his council, and basically the people that, you know, the officials that, that run the kingdom. And it's a three-year process, and part, some of the men that he brings into this are Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he, he changes not just their names, but all of the names of anyone that's from the outside in, he has them eat his food, drink their wine, all this stuff. And this is really what this is, y'all, is an indoctrination to forget their culture and their upbringing and their faith and, and adapt to him and him alone. In other words, you used to serve your God. Now I am your God. So you're, I'm going to call you by a new name. I'm going to have you eat this food. I mean, you do all these things, right? They are in the fire, right? They are in the fire now. They have come under this king that does not love God, that does not honor God, that steals from God. And he's saying, you got to worship me now. They are in the fire. And here is what happens. See, Daniel says, listen, we're not going to eat the king's food and we're not going to drink the king's wine. Because what Daniel understands is though he is in this, he is not part of this. And how he maintains that, not being a part of what is going all around him, is continue to fix his eyes on God and commit to God and God alone. Because the food that he's being offered, the wine that they are being offered, y'all, is good, right? It is good food. Are y'all awake this morning? Is anyone here? I'm, I'm, Valerie, please come back in Jesus' name from your vacation. My Lord, y'all. This is Publix chicken tender tossed in ranch and buffalo sauce. Good food, okay? And they're saying no. We're not a part of all this that's going on around. Though we are in it, we are not a part of it. So we're not going to eat that. We're going to continue to fix our eyes on God in the midst of this fire that we find ourselves in. And so the guy who's over, over charge of them directly is like, listen, I can't let you do that because you're going to get weak and it's going to look bad on me and then I'm going to get in trouble and I can't have that. So you're going to need to eat this food. And Daniel's like, check it out. We're going to eat vegetables and water for 10 days. That's all we're going to eat for 10 days. And then come back in 10 days. And if we look bad, if we look skinnier than everybody else and all that, then we'll change. But our, our eyes are so fixed on God and committed to him that we know that if we eat less than them, the lesser food, we are going to be stronger anyway. You know what happens? After 10 days, they're stronger than everybody else. And the guy over them says, listen, cool, keep doing it. You're making me look good. I like it. So they're in this thing, but they're not part of it. And this is the reaction of Nebuchadnezzar at the end of chapter 1 in verse 18. He says, When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those are their old names. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any manner requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them... 10 times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. So when he needed wisdom, when he needed balanced judgment, he went to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
And I want to tell, I want to tell all of us this morning, if you're in a fire today, and if I asked you to raise your hand and said, who's, and, and don't, but if I asked you to raise your hand and say, are you in a fire? Are you walking through a fire in life right now? And you were to put your hand up in the air. I want you to know something. When we fix our eyes on God, when we have our blinders on only him, he gives us wisdom and balanced judgment to operate in that fire. He gives us that. Because the Bible says that he did not give us a spirit of fear, though the fire wants us to be fearful. He did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and what? A sound mind, sound judgment, wisdom. Why? Because God is smart. God knows all the answers. He has the answer to every single question that we could ever give, ever ask him, ever go before him with. And if we would just fix our eyes on him, he will tell us what to do. He has given us sound wisdom, balanced judgment, all those things in the midst of the fire. Not when we get out of the fire, but in the fire. We have to ask him. What happens is we get confused. You know why? Because instead of just focusing on God, we're looking at the fire all around here, all the stuff that's going on. And then we get confused. And he's saying, I'm right here. I've given you the wisdom. I've given you the understanding. And we're going we're gonna to see it even more so as the story continues. But before we do that, I want us to understand something. They don't eat the food because God has put that on their heart, told them not to do that. But what they don't do is try to escape. There's nothing in here about them trying to run from this place that they're in with Nebuchadnezzar. God has not told them to run, so they stay. And I believe it's because in the fire is exactly where God wanted them to be. We make a mistake a lot of times in our walk with the Lord of trying to avoid the fire at all costs. We pray against the fire. We think if we're in the fire, we've done something wrong. That, that following Jesus is about not being in the fire. But following Jesus is about how to live in the fire. And so he's saying, listen, I got y'all there for a reason because I know you can do it. And you need to be there for other people. But while you're there, I'm gonna give you balanced judgment and I'm gonna give you wisdom and I'm gonna protect you and provide for you the whole time. I'm not leaving you. Don't confuse the fire with me being absent in your life. Far from it. But I need, listen, y'all, as a church, as the church, as believers in Jesus, we need to start understanding how to live in the fire, not running from it all the time. Because we're in it. We're in it. All right, chapter two, starting in verse one. One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. He called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers. And he, listen to this, what he demanded of them, y'all. He demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. As they stood before the king, he said, I have, a, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must, I must know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, Long live the king. Tell us the dream, and we will tell you what it means. But the king said to the astrologers, I am serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was, in other words, he's not saying interpret, he's saying, you got to tell me what I dreamt. All right, you got to tell me. And then tell me what it means. He said, if you don't do that, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. But if you tell me what I dreamt, dreamed and what the dream means, I will give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me the dream and what it means. They said again, please, your majesty, tell us the dream and we will tell you what it means. The king replied, 
I know what you were doing. You're stalling for time because you know I am serious when I say if you don't tell me the dream, you are doomed. So you have conspired to tell me lies, hoping I will change my mind. But tell me the dream, and then I'll know that you can tell me what it means. Listen to their response in verse 10. The astrologers replied to the king, No one on earth can tell the king his dream, and no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream, and this is the best part right here, and they do not live here among people. All right. So he's asking, in their words, the impossible. You need to tell me what I dreamt, and you also need to tell me what it means. And their response is simple. We can't. It's impossible. You're asking the impossible. And I want to point out really quickly three things that are polar opposites in terms of a false god and who our God is. And the first one is that our God does not give um, threats. He gives invitations. All right? So we see here Nebuchadnezzar saying, you better do this or else I'm going to tear you limb from limb and your houses are going to become rubble. If you don't do this, fill in the blank happens. But what we read in the Bible, throughout the Bible, but my favorite is Matthew 11 where Jesus says what? Come to me, come to me, come to me. Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you heavy burdened? Come to me. Not you better do this or else. You are not in a fire because of an or else. Because you didn't do the thing that God called you to do. And so now here you are in this fire and there it is. There's God's punishment. He deals in threats. You know why God doesn't deal in threats? Because again, he knows who he is. God is mature. Dealing with threats like this, this king, what he's doing, this is middle school king, right? God isn't middle school. I love what Robert Hartzell uh, shared a, a few weeks ago. It's like, God is mature. I love that. God is mature. When we act a certain way, he responds maturely. When he asks something of us, he asks us maturely. He doesn't say, you better do this or. You know why? Because that's not how we fall in love with God more. You don't fall in love through threats, right? Insecure rulers operate in threats. God is secure. Remember, he knows who he is. He knows he's going to outlast everyone. He knows if you try and steal his treasure, he's just going to get it back at the end of the day. He knows who he is. He is secure in who he is, so he doesn't have to operate in threats. He loves us, and he so desperately wants us to love him back and to trust him. We can't trust him when every single time he asks us to do something, there's a threat behind it. He doesn't operate in threats. He's also not works-based. Nebuchadnezzar says, but if you are able to do this, then I'm going to give you some of these awesome gifts, and it's going to be great, and he's going to incentivize this whole thing, right? That's not how God works either. So maybe you've been feeling like you're in this fire because you did something wrong, and so the reward is not positive, but it's negative. That is not how God operates. It is not how God operates. Romans 5 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he didn't wait for us to be good. God knew that most of the world throughout time was going to reject Jesus, and he still sent him. So he doesn't wait for us to do good to then reward us with something good. He rewarded us with the greatest thing ever while we were still sinners. It's not a reward system with God. He simply loves us for who we are. He loves us because we are his. 
not because of what we do for him. But the greatest difference, I believe, in these three things is what the astrologers and magicians and sorcerers say at the very end. When their life is on the line, when the king is saying, I'm going to tear you limb from limb if you're not able to do this, the testimony that they have of their God or their gods is they're not here. They're not on this earth. In other words, they're not concerned with us. Oh, how different our God is from that. He is in all of it. All of it. Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, I will never leave you. I will be with you always, even till the ends of the earth. I'm with you always. I don't care how hot the fire gets. I'm not leaving you. I'm with you. I'm not like those other gods that are far off when your life is on the line. I am right here. And as been alluded to earlier, we all have testimonies. And that is the ammunition that kills the enemy in those moments where we're looking at the fire and we think it's too much. We can say, oh, wait a second. I serve a God who never leaves me, who is with me always, even to the ends of the earth. So what is Daniel's response? Verse 17, he says, Then Daniel went home and told his friends Hananiah, Michelle, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. That night the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. He said, Praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. Let me say that part again. He has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious, mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. So where the other guys didn't even consider to ask their gods, their testimony is our gods aren't even around. Daniel says, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, join with me. Let's ask God for mercy that he would reveal to us this dream. Because he can do it. There's never a lack of confidence. Never a lack of confidence with Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when it comes to what God can do. They know he can do it. So their first response is to go to him. We did a marriage panel a couple weeks ago up here, and I think it was Joanne that mentioned, you know, in, in marriage, how we, we go down the road of hard things, and then it, we were reminded, oh, maybe we should pray about this, right? We get all the way down this line of trying to do this, that, and the other, and we solve it ourselves, and we try and put this fire out all by ourselves, and we ask other people, and we read this book, or whatever we do, and we never ask God. Daniel, his first response is to gather his friends, that they would pray together, join me, which I think is very important, church, that's why we're here, join me in praying for this, because our God is able. He's full of wisdom and power. He goes right to them. We can learn something from Daniel here. Continues in verse 31. Daniel tells, this is where Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar the vision. It says, in your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge shining statue of a man 
It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron, and its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. As you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to, the, to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on the, on the threshing floor. But the rock, that was knocked, uh, the, the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. Okay. Let's just pause for a second here and remember that God is full authority. And what we talked about in Daniel chapter 1, right? Right off the bat, God establishes authority. And now, I, I, God has a sense of humor, y'all. He absolutely has a sense of humor. Because here is this king that has besieged Judah and robbed God's temple of its treasure and put it in his lowercase g God's uh, temple, right? Acting as if he is God. And so what does God do in his authority? He gives Nebuchadnezzar a dream about Jesus Christ coming back. And he yet lets Daniel be the one to tell him about it. He says, hey, you are the gold king, but all these other kings that come after you, they're going to be a little lesser. But then one day, there's going to be a rock that is carved out of a mountain, not by human hands, but by the hands that created the mountain itself. And that rock's going to come rolling down that mountain, and it's going to destroy every kingdom, including yours, as great as you think it is, for all time. This rock is the king of kings. This rock is Jesus Christ. And it is why, it is why we don't bow to you. It is why we are not afraid of you. It is why this fire that you put us in does not scare us because we are on the winning side. This rock is coming and it is going to, in the words of the Bible, it is going to cover the entire earth. <clears throat> and I'm telling you, Nebuchadnezzar, the one who had the dream about it. Don't, do y'all see the irony there? That's incredible to me. Okay, I see the irony here. Uh, man, thank you, Jesus. In case we missed it here, y'all, in case you haven't heard me say it yet, nothing and no one is greater than Jesus. Amen. Nothing and no one is greater than Jesus. He is a rock carved out of the mountain, not by human hands, that is going to roll down that bad boy and destroy every man-made kingdom. And he reigns. And he reigns. But we don't have to wait till then, y'all. We have him right now. We have the power of the Holy Spirit right now. We have our loving Jesus Christ, our friend, our intercessor, fighting for us right now. Continues on in Daniel chapter 2, verse 46. After, after Daniel gives the interpretation of the dream, then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshiped him. And he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. The king said to Daniel, truly your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. Then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler yeah, over the whole province of Babylon, as well as chief over, his, over all his wise men. At Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon, while Daniel remained in the king's court. Okay, right? Awesome. End of the story. Nebuchadnezzar's been converted. Yay, right? 
No. No. Why? Because man is fickle. And kings, we see this all the time in the Bible, kings especially are fickle. They'll, they'll worship God one minute, and the next day they look in the mirror and they're, all oh, right, I'm worshiping you today, right? They love them some them. And what we need, what we need to be careful of here, y'all, it is just as easy. It is just as easy to have our eyes taken off of God from a pat on the back as it is from a stab in the back. We start getting... Ooh, good job, buddy. You're awesome. You're getting promoted. All these things, because of things that God has done through us, it can take our eyes off him real quick. Real quick. We have to be very, very careful of that. We have to be very careful not to be seduced by the praises of man in our lives and let that be what validates us in our life because it comes and goes. And when we do that, we are building our houses on sand, not on rock. Because how God affirms us, how God validates us, it's the same every single day. It's him telling us, before, before you even loved me, I loved you. I died for you while you were still a sinner. There's your validation. There's your identity. But if we continue to live our existence waiting for people to pat us on the back it's going to be a roller coaster all our lives and we see that right here they're promoted nebuchadnezzar is praising god and then chapter three rolls around and here we go king nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and nine feet wide and set it up on the plain of dura in the province of babylon then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar uh, had set up. Then a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Okay, here it is, the or else mentality. Worship this idol, which really means worship me or else. Here they are again. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They haven't eaten the king's food. They've prayed with Daniel to, in, to not just interpret a dream, but know what the dream even was to begin with. And now this are you serious like another one why because they're living in the fire and now here is this fire quite literally in front of them verse 8 says but some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the jews skip to verse 12 but there are some jews shadrach meshach and abednego whom you have put in charge of the province of babylon they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Okay, man, the Bible is full of tattletales. They're everywhere and they're annoying, right? They're annoying. I don't like them. They're always self-serving. Listen, these, these uh, astrologers, some of your translations might say the Chaldeans, they're not so concerned with the king here. Like, oh, they need to worship you. You're so amazing. They want 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's jobs. It says right here, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon, these guys that you have put in charge, they're not doing this. <coughs> Excuse me. We can do it. Put us in charge. We'll do whatever you say, king. They're tattling on them because they want their job. And here's, here's where we also need to just be careful and remember. As we stand in the fire and we have our eyes fixed on God and we're obedient to the things that he's calling us to, hard things, tough things, we might not always get the results that we think immediately. It might actually get a little worse. I didn't eat the king's food. I was on veggies and water for like three years, God. Like, I gotta, I gotta do this now? Got these guys tattling on me? Listen, y'all, Jesus, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, there was a group that went and tattled on him. That was actually what started the whole process of him getting arrested, was guys tattling on Jesus after he raised someone from the dead. Even a guy who he cured of blindness, after he found out who Jesus was, went back and tattled on him. We're going to get told on here, y'all. If we're living our life for Jesus, people are going to see. And sometimes when we're obedient to the things that God is calling us to, when we're standing in the fire and our eyes are fixed on him, the fire is going to get hotter. It just is. And so that's when we have to, that's when we have to ask ourselves, will we remain? Will we remain in the fire? Verse 14, it says, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, he gets this report and he says to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? Nebuchadnezzar knows these guys, right? They've kind of set themselves apart from everybody else. He already said so in chapter one. Remember, he points them out as being the ones that have the best wisdom and the, and the, and the best judgment. Now they're the ones that have told him to dream in chapter two. So it's not like these guys are strangers. He knows them. And I think there's probably part of them is like, guys, don't do this. Like, I really like you. But I've kind of put this thing out there. I can't go back on it. He's like, is it true, guys? He's like, I'm going to give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And what God, lowercase g, will be able to rescue you from my power? Listen, in life, when we're, when we're in the fire, whatever that might be, Maybe, maybe the fire is your marriage or it's your finances, it's your kids, it's health. It can be whatever it is, but you're in this fire. Rarely does the devil allow us to take a stand just one time. We have to take a stand over and over and over and over again. He doesn't, it's not just one time we go, hey, I did it. And he's like, oh, well, okay, I'm leaving you alone. Here are the man, right? You're awesome. No, that, he's going to attack and attack and attack. He says, last chance. Let me tell you something. It's not the Lord. Maybe, maybe you've been in that position where there was that last chance. Are you sure? Is it true? And I think we've all been there. I know I certainly have. It's like, is it true? No, it's not true. It's not true. I don't want any trouble. And we back off from our convictions for whatever reason and we feel like a failure, you need to understand something. Though Nebuchadnezzar says, this is your last chance, God is the God of many chances. He is the God of many chances. And if any of us 
have found ourselves in that place, we know when we come back to the Lord, he gives us another chance. Peter himself denies Jesus three times the night that Jesus is being arrested. The worst night of Jesus' life, Peter's going, I don't even know the dude. God doesn't go to him and say, really had big plans for you. You're going to be the rock of the new church, but I think I'll give it to Nathaniel. Um, he doesn't do that. Peter repents, and God still has a calling on his life because God is the God of many chances. But here they are in this moment. The enemy is threatening, trying to tell him that this is bad and you should be afraid. Look at me. Look in my eyes. Don't look at your God. Look at the fire. Look at the circumstances. Look at the symphony of, of, of instruments around that's about to play again. Look at the idol. Look at all the people staring at you. You're in this arena and it's just you. You're alone. Don't raise your hand, but is that familiar? Does that feel familiar to you? You're all alone. What are you going to do? The fire's ramping up. These guys want your job. They're ready to take it. This is your last chance. Is it true? I love their response here in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown in the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve, capital G, is able to save us. They're answering his question. What God will be able to rescue you? Our God. You asked, we're telling you. Our God will be able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. I'll make this very clear. We're never doing it. I love that opening line. We do not need to defend ourselves before you. Why? Because that's God's job. Y'all, in your lives, you do not need to be the ones to put out the fire that you are in. That's God's job. He does it. Are you, are you under attack? You don't need to defend yourself. Pastor Steve used to say, truth doesn't need defense. And it doesn't. Truth does not need to be defended. It stands on its own. So if you're being attacked, whatever might be going on in your life, it's not up to you to defend yourself. Jesus did that on the cross. He defended you with nails in his arms and his legs and a crown of thorns on his head. He is our defense. So in the face of this evil king with this fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego their response was not, hey, can we work something out? Okay, here's what happened. Let me try and come up with my own defense here that is going to fall woefully short of the situation. But instead, they're saying, it's not even our job. We don't have to defend ourselves against you. You asked what God can save us? Our God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, and we go into that fiery furnace and we die, we're still on the winning side. We're still on the winning side. We're still on the winning side. Verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. Yeah. When I first read that, I kind of laughed. I was like, I think I'm going to, I know what I'm going to do when I read that. I'm going to make faces in church that are weird and everyone's going to laugh. All right. And then I thought better of that idea. Um, and I actually, as I really considered this, this distortion 
that his face took hold of this rage. And almost, it was like, this is demonic. What is happening here is demonic. This king is so mad because all the power has been taken from him. That's what's happening here. He's powerless. Y'all, when the enemy is powerless against us, his face gets distorted. He's so mad, but he can't do anything. And all the power of Nebuchadnezzar is taken from him. This, this demonic spirit is now on his face. This is real. It's real stuff. It says, He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So let's remember that. He gets three of, uh, some, some of his strongest soldiers, and they die. Okay, So he's shooting himself in the foot here. Verse 23, So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, like that, y'all, suddenly, immediately is, is, is what we need to understand here. Not a second goes by from when they're in the furnace to where Nebuchadnezzar jumps up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men, unbound, walking around, in the fire, unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants, of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them, and they saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. All right. I don't know if y'all have done a... a like a bonfire made s'mores recently, but like if smoke touches you for two seconds, you smell of it, right? Like you actually go into it going, okay, what clothes do I not want to wear till our next laundry cycle? Because it's going to reek. They didn't even smell of smoke. In a furnace that was heated seven times hotter than it normally does. And I love the immediacy with which Jesus is there. Suddenly, right off the bat, first step in, boom, Jesus is there. Why? Because he's always been there. It wasn't that he was able to travel from heaven down to the fiery furnace like immediately. This wasn't Star Trek, right? He got there because he was always there. He just walked in with them. He walked in with them because he had been living with them in the fire the whole time. When they were going through those three years of training, when the king has the dream, and now here, when there's this 90-foot, nine-wide idol that they're being forced to worship, they worship God. Their blinders are on God the entire time. And the narrative of the whole thing is he is capable. He can do it. He can make us stronger. He can reveal to us the dream. He can have us live in a fiery furnace. He's God. He is the authority, y'all. He is the authority. He is the authority. 
And listen, I love the clapping, all right? I love it. But can we clap to that tomorrow, in Tuesday, in Wednesday, in the entire week, and come back? I would love to come back here next week and go, we know, James. We know. We're living it every single day. Because the fire's there. The fire is out there. And it waits for us. And there's times where it just, we just, it just gets cranked up on us. It gets hotter and hotter. And we're looking for every single door out of whatever we're walking through. Where's the trap door? Where's the solution? And God's saying, I'm here. I'm in the fire with you. And I can save you. Our God is able to save us, King Nebuchadnezzar. Our God is able to save us, Satan. Our God is able to save our marriage. Our God is able to save our children. Our God is able to heal us of whatever is put before us. Whatever the fire is, y'all, whatever the fire is, do you hear me? Do you believe it for yourselves? Because this story is not about three guys in Babylon. It's about God's children. It's about his whole kingdom. It's about every single one of us sitting in here and watching online. We can all live in the fire and be untouched by it when we fix our eyes on God alone and stop worrying about the threats of a king that is powerless. You can do it. You can do it. I know you can because I know the God that you serve. I know the God that you worship. And here's what I love about Beaches Chapel. We all go in the fires together. It's not just three in one. It's a church in one. Living in the fires together. That's how we live it out. That's how we find deliverance and victory in these times. So whatever you might be walking through, I want to have the band come back up. And we want to pray for you this morning. We want to stand in agreement that you would be reminded, you would be strengthened, you would be encouraged today. I know life is hard. I know there's all sorts of things thrown at us. I know it feels like in your life, you might have come in today. You might not have been able to even get here today, but you're watching it online either today or later this week because the fire was just too hot. I want to pray for you. I want to stand in agreement with you that our God is able to save all of us. And we've all been there. We've all been there. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Why don't we stand up? I want to say this too. Maybe you're, you're listening to this and you're in a fire and you've been trying to put it out and you've, you've never turned to Jesus once in your life. You hear all the stuff and you hear the songs and all those, all those things, but you've never committed your life to Jesus. You've never said, I'm, I'm, I'm giving it to you, Lord. I'm giving it to you, Jesus. I believe in you. Save me. I've tried to save myself. Will you save me? This is your moment. This is your moment to stop fighting all the battles in your life and let Jesus take over. All you have to do is say, I believe. Come into my heart. still sinners. While we were all still sinners, Christ died for you. Don't believe the lie that you have to get it all together. That is such a lie of the enemy. Well, I'm going to believe in Jesus. I just need to get my act together here first. 
It's the other way around. We receive Jesus and he gets our act together for us. If that's you today, because in this moment that we're at, all you have to do is bow your head, close your eyes, right where you're at. Say, Jesus, I believe. In your own words, whatever you need to say to him, make it your own. I'm going to have um, Don Joanne, Sal Carmelo, jump and come up. Have a time of prayer this morning. And if you've been in the fire for a while, it's just been, it's been scorching you. You feel, you feel burned. Like, man, that's great for those guys, but I, I reek of smoke. We want to pray for you. We want to pray for you this morning as we close in worship. And I just want to encourage, if you're out there and you're, you're good, please just, as we worship, as we sing this last song, pray with us from your seat for those that are coming up. But know that if you're new to Beaches Chapel or you've been here a few times, this, this, these times of prayer that we have here are special and good. They are not a time of judgment. No one in here, I can tell you right now, none of the people here at Beaches Chapel, this church, does not care at all, at all, about who comes up here to get prayed for. The last thing you need to consider is what are people going to that is the enemy trying to make your fire be more fearful. That's all that is. So let me pray and then we're going to get started. Father, thank you, Jesus, for your power in our lives. That though we might feel like we're surrounded in a fire and the heat is getting turned up, you are with us. And you protect us and you see us through. And we can come out of it without even smelling a little bit like smoke. That is, that is a glory to you, Father. That is glory to you. God with all authority, who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. You reign on high, God. You are the authority of everything. And so we commit everything to you. We lay everything down at your feet. And say, God, help us. God, see us through. God, give us strength. God, give us wisdom. Whatever we need, Lord, we fix our eyes on you. We put blinders on to everything else. And we say we serve a God who is able to save us. God with a capital G. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let's worship. If you need prayer this morning, come on up.